0: Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side. Plus, all the folks at Fried, the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Fried Fam, you know how much I love keeping it real and sharing true, deep, and dark stories about life and burnout. You also know, if you've been around for a while, that I have never had a quote-unquote real job because I've been an entrepreneur since the day I finished school. And entrepreneurship can be lonely. That's why, if you're an entrepreneur or a creative like me, I want you to listen to the Who Made You the Boss?" podcast with Lindsay Epperly. With deep dives into imposter syndrome, honesty about bank accounts and life drama, and stories about the fallacy of balancing it all... Lindsay and Who Made You the Boss make the world of entrepreneurship more real, more connected, and less lonely. I recommend starting with episode three, all about slowing down for more impact. You can thank me later. Hey, fried fans. Are you ready to beat burnout for good? I want you to join our newsletter for top tips, resources, and, as per usual, a touch of humor delivered straight to your inbox. Plus, when you do that, you'll get our core values exercise, which is your secret weapon to kickstart your burnout recovery and then keep it away long term. Don't wait. Head to bit.ly forward slash core values freebie and start feeling better today. That link will also be in the show notes. Fried, the burnout podcast. Hello, Fried fam. This is a really fun day that a lot of you I know are already excited about because we've talked about it in the Facebook group. And we are, we get to talk to Amelia Nagoski today, who, as most of you know, wrote with her sister, the book Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And Amelia is a DMA that stands for Doctorate of Musical Arts. Her and her sister, Emily, co-wrote the, the New York Times bestselling book. And her job is to run around waving her arms and making funny noises and generally doing whatever it takes to help singers get in touch with their internal experience, which is like such a burnout recovery thing that it just makes me really happy. She lives in New England with her husband and two rescue dogs. Amelia, welcome to Fried. We are so thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. We usually start off fried with, hey, what's your burnout story? So let's do a quick overview of that. Some people, most people will already know the basics, but for those have, who have not gotten the book yet, please go get the book. If you that For those that have not gotten the book yet, can you share with them what the sort of the outline of your personal burnout story and how this all started?
1: Yeah, it really began with uh, my sister. She has a PhD in health sciences, and she... Uh, wrote the New York Times bestselling, Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Change Your Sex Life by Emily Nagoski. And uh, it's a book about the, the science of women's sexuality. But there's one little part of the book where Uh, She talked about emotions and feeling and processing emotions and managing stress because it turns out the best predictor of a woman's sexual well-being is her overall well-being. But when she went around talking to women about this, you know, the science of women's sexuality, they would come up to her and be like, yeah, yeah, all that sex science, great. But, you know, the one thing that really helped me is that one part about stress and feelings. And she was surprised. But when she told me about it, I was not surprised at all because I'm a conductor and I had conservatory training where I learned about feeling and processing emotions for the purpose of being expressive on stage in performance. I did not learn to transfer that skill to every day. And when I did, it saved my life twice. So Emily said, we should write a book about that. Um, So that's what the book is. It's, It's the book I needed when I was recovering from burnout. And uh, uh, I was hospitalized twice during my doctoral program uh, because of all the reasons that we talk about in the book. Uh, and it's genuinely a practical, helpful, useful book That uh, that's the one that 20-year-old me would have loved to have.
0: I think something just, oh, there we are. You guys, you're hearing dings in the background because I didn't shut off my WhatsApp, but we're going to just go with it. One of the things that I think really strikes people most of the time is how bad it can get before you actually decide to do something about it. So, you said you ended up in the hospital twice. What was like, what brought you to the hospital? What was going on? For
1: me, it was abdominal pain.
0: Yeah. Um, It turned out I had appendicitis
1: for over a year. It went undiagnosed during my first emergency room visit. Um, I'm lucky that it didn't like burst or cause an acute, you know, immediate infection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It was just uh, inflamed. And then they found it a year later almost to the day uh, I went back and they were like oh hey it's your appendix and they took it out Um, but uh, even in my first hospitalization the doctors were like we can't find anything wrong we don't know what the problem is it's probably stress it's it's just stress they told me it's just stress can you can you reduce your stress manage your stress and I was like well I'm a doctoral student full-time commuting 65 miles each way to my campus and I'm working three part-time jobs and a step parent to three teenagers so no no yeah, I can't not I can't decrease my stress that's just, that's not how I do it um but when I, literally when I was in the hospital my sister came down um with like a stack of research about how stress impacts your physical health and to that point I had not realized that like emotions happen in your body and she's like how could you not know that how how could you not know that amelia you're a conductor you you express emotion in music with your body and i was like yeah 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 but like if i if i make the connection to the fact that emotions are held in my body and i haven't recognized this for at the point i was in my early 30s at that point and if i and if i acknowledge that now i've got 30 years of emotion in my body that i haven't even acknowledged and what's it doing in there and uh, what it was doing was destroying my organs slowly and uh, i i had to learn how to how to manage my all the all the cycles that happen in my body so that they could start to heal
0: do you think that the appendicitis the chronic chronic appendicitis was a stress related a hundred percent. oh, yeah. Your, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Even the doctors were like,
1: this is stress related. like, yeah. I mean, we know the mechanism of how stress yeah, manifests in the body, the unresolved stress response cycles build up and and it's not just stress. Every emotion is a cycle that yeah. happens in your body. And when you don't allow them to go through their full and complete cycle, they still just sit there in your body. Your body has released chemicals, neurochemicals and neurotransmitters and hormones, and, and they're doing stuff to your body, whether or not you feel or acknowledge them. Um, and. When you don't let them do what they were intended to do, it it becomes damaging to your body.
0: Yeah. So this my background is um, Chinese medicine. So I've been an acupuncturist for nearly 20 years. And this is common knowledge for us. So again, like like you, you're like your sister was like, how do you not know this? You know, for us, this is just what we learn. This is how we are taught to view medicine through this lens of these emotional changes. And in Chinese medicine, there's no such thing as a negative emotion. Right. Right. There's only yeah. emotions that are unprocessed, unused, unacknowledged, untransformed. Yeah. So one of the is... first
1: things I did when I, when I got out of the hospital and started looking for ways to yeah. recover, uh, one of the first things I did was start practicing and studying tai chi. Oh, I love which that. A credit to this day, to yeah. most of my recoveries, what I learned in that
0: process. What do you think you learned in that process?
1: Uh, about what it actually feels like to be in a part of a cycle that is whole, part of um, a universe that we, each of ourselves, each of our whole selves um, are functioning as a, as a fractal representation of how the whole universe exists. Um, <laughs> this is, we don't write about this in a book. It's a little beyond mm-hmm. the woo of what, like we keep it very science-based, but like in terms of how I, exist in the universe now the idea that i am i am a universe each of my cells is a universe made of dark and light and opposites that interact and that our existence right here at this point of the intersection of past and future um, it it changes how i exist in the world it changes how it feels to be connected to everything mm. um And it makes everything about being alive and present right here, more free and flexible and
0: less rigid and locked and stuck. This just makes me so happy to hear you say (laughs) that. I'm just sitting here like basking in the joy of listening to you say that. So uh, recently, and we do um, free office hours a few times a month for people that don't have access to enough resources in some way shape or form to get to burnout recovery because it can be very expensive it's very lengthy so we provide four hours a month of ask me anything sessions you can come on i will treat you just like a client and answer anything that i can within of course the time frame and the and the space that we have and we were just we just spent a tuesday talking about tai chi and qigong for like a solid 30 minutes on the call and this first thing that you, the first thing that I heard when you started describing that was connection, connection to self, connection to universe, connection to others, right? Like that was the underlying thing that you were saying, which is such a beautiful way to put it. And then you talked about the fractals and like the Tai Chi symbol. So for those of you that don't know, the Tai Chi symbol is the yin yang symbol, the black and white that's constantly spinning. It's not meant to be viewed in a you know, a single dimension. It's a three-dimensional object. It's constantly moving and turning. And this, that ability to actually posted this on LinkedIn today, the ability to hold the paradox of that light and dark. Yes. Is what actually allows us to thrive. Yes.
1: I think. Yeah. Recognizing for me it's about recognizing that's that's what my existence is it's yeah. it's it's meat and spirit right it's inhalation yeah. and exhalation and all of that is the same thing
0: yeah so this is one of those things where when somebody says you know you can't be angry and grateful at the same time i'm like i'm a more complicated human than absolutely that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah 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 you yeah. can we can hold all of these paradoxes all the time because yeah. that's what we are literally designed from
1: yeah. For me, though, the idea of angry, grateful is, was a, was a huge and profound one. Mm. But even that was pretty sophisticated for me. The idea that I could recognize my own anger, could acknowledge it when it happened. Mm. I mean, it, it was the word, it was the word like repressed rage, I think was actually yeah. used as a, as a phrase in one of the things I was reading. And I was like, rage, what do you mean? What do you mean? And like I just in that moment it was like somebody going, Hey Amelia, you've got you've got rage. Um and it was it was so painful in that yeah. man, I'm in my 30s, right? I'm in my early thirties mm-hmm. at that moment. Um, yeah, like yeah. It was I was um I had some remedial emotion stuff <laughs>
0: yeah. to fix.
1: Don't uh, you think uh, most of us a lot do? of people into it? I don't, it's hard to say. Okay, so Emily and I are genetically identical, raised in the same household. She has always been able to sense her own internal state with Mm. such compelling ease that she cannot ignore what her body is telling her. I am on the far end of that spectrum. My capacity for interoception is clinically bad. There's a a name for the condition, it's called alexithymia. it means no words for feelings, but what it really is to experience is that I don't it's like it's really hard to hear my body telling me things, my own internal signals like I don't, I don't it's hard to recognize when I have to pee. like am I hungry?
0: I, I don't really know. Am so I happy the unofficial to know it? like no, I don't know what that means. <laughs> the unofficial um, hashtag of the podcast that you would not know is pee when you have to pee
1: yeah, yeah, yeah but <laughs> I, what if what if you don't know? What if yes, you just legit exactly. don't know? Um, yeah. So a lot of people talk about, well, you know, how do I prevent having to be hospitalized for my stress-induced illness? And I mean, thing number one is learn to feel your feelings, learn to yeah. recognize your physical sensations, yeah. um, and and acknowledge them as true. Whereas we are very well trained to trust external sources to tell us how we're supposed to be feeling, and therefore mm-hmm. how we how we are feeling. And you know, to to look externally at our bodies to see if they are healthy instead of sensing inside if they are functioning the way they want to um yeah so it's both an internal skill potential like Emily is maximum and I am minimum and I think most people are someplace in the middle um but there's no predicting you know where is your ability level just natural inclination and then there's also The fact that it is a learned skill. I mean, I I got much better at it. I, 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 I'm okay at recognizing when I have to pee. I'm way better at it now. Um, but also we are explicitly trained not to trust our body's internal signals.
0: Yeah. I mean, even we talk about this a lot on the podcast, the when people are like, but why don't I know how to do it? We call it foundational self-care. It's not about like the the rainbows and the butterflies and the things. It's about peeing when you have to pee and and actually getting up and getting something to drink when you feel thirsty, like shock. And people are like, but and this is this this idea of being able to practice it. Like you said, first of all, everybody's at a different level to start with. Even if it's not a genetic thing, there's different levels to start with, nature, nurture, whatever the heck. Then we go to school. You're only allowed to drink when you can drink. You're only allowed to eat when you can eat. You're only allowed to pee when you get permission to pee. So you learn to physically actually turn off those signals when you can because you can't actually listen to them. And then we have much of the... Re- not much of the re- I wouldn't say much of the remainder, but a, a huge part of your book is saying, especially women are taught, shut those things down so that you can maintain everybody else's stuff. Yeah.
1: How dare you have needs? Yeah. And ask for the resources to fulfill them. How dare you, you selfish thing?
0: Yeah. Right. So we have all these layers. Of things happening. Yes. It's no wonder we burn out. Do you think that people yeah. that burn out have a naturally lower level of interoception? No, not necessarily. No, no I do think that it is
1: a it makes it l- more difficult to burn out because Emily, Emily's never burned out. Mm.
0: Um
1: And this is what you were saying when people are like, how do I not already know how to do this? This for Emily was why she needed me to help her write this book. She could do the science all by herself. But she was like, don't people just already know this? And I was like, no, no, they don't. Either they they know it and they're like you know the stuff that's good for you like eating nutritious food and getting some movement in your life and a good night's sleep like none of this is a mystery right right Um, but why aren't we doing it and why are we kind of overcomplicating it so we think we have to like hack our bodies or our schedules in order to do these basic care things and the answer to that is the patriarchy is because we are explicitly told that we don't deserve it that we that we aren't allowed to have it until we conform to an unachievable ideal and it is burnout is caused when the external expectations and the internal capacity of a human don't match. Um, It's not because the person is unhealthy or broken in some way it's because they're being asked to conform to uh, something that they cannot conform to asked to meet an unachievable goal and the expectations are unceasing that that's how burnout happens
0: one of the things that you talk about in the book that i know you talk about on pretty much every podcast you're on but i'm gonna ask you about it anyway is breaking down for people the difference between a stress and a stressor yeah this was really important for me yeah Yeah. let's dig into it yeah the first
1: thing to know is that stress is not like an imaginary concept that exists just out in the world stress is is a cycle that happens in your body Um, It is initiated by an external thing. So in the environment of evolutionary adaptiveness, this was something with with fangs and claws that could run 40 miles an hour. And this stress response that you have prepares you for fight or flight, right? It's adrenaline and cortisol and glucocorticoids that all flood your system so that you can run. To deliver the maximum amount of oxygen to your muscles to prepare you to flee to run to jump to climb to hide in the same moment every system of your body is responding your cardiovascular system you can feel your heart pumping right your Uh, respiratory system. You can feel your breath changing, right? You might even feel like kind of prickling sensations in your skin that could be suggestions of other things that are changing, like the blood drawing away from the surface of your skin so that if you get cut, you don't bleed to death. But also there are changes happening where the oil and sweat glands are changing how they behave. You might feel this manifesting in your hair standing up on end. Um, There are also changes to systems that you will not notice consciously. This includes your reproductive system your reproductive system takes a lot of energy but the thing is when there's teeth and claws and 40 miles an hour coming at you you don't need to worry about babies cuz you're going to get eaten right same thing with your immune system for example um it shuts down potentially could be one of the ways that it responds to the stress response and because it takes a lot of energy to protect you from malaria but in the moment of fight or flight malaria doesn't matter because you're gonna get eaten by this thing but when you run and jump and climb and hide in the cleft of the rock and then you're looking out and that you have escaped and the and the saber-toothed tiger is 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 gone and you are safe that you have used up the stress response, the actual stress that happened in your body to complete the stress response cycle. Um, And that returns you to a state of baseline where your body knows that it is safe and that it has the capacity to move you from danger to safety. And um, in the 21st century, our stressors, the things that initiate the stress response are no longer, you know, Things that we can fight or flight.
0: <laughs> you know, although that's not there was a bear my in my neighborhood yesterday and I live in New Jersey and there was a bear yeah. close to the city in New Jersey and there was a bear in my neighborhood yesterday. So, you know, I mean those stressors can still occasionally exist. My husband was I'm hard. not saying never.
1: <laughs> but I mean, all day, every day, it's right. our phone pinging and yeah. the emails arriving and our boss knocking on our door, or right? It's it's getting harassed on this like all day, every day, and your body just doesn't really know the difference. All it perceives is threat, stressor, and uh, it's not supposed to function that way. I mean, so take your uh, cardio, your cardiovascular system, for example, your circulatory system, um, your your. V- blood vessels, veins, arteries, all of them are designed to handle like a gently flowing stream for when you're just like baseline, basically safe. So in that moment of fight or flight, when your blood pressure increases, when your blood flow is just increased, it turns into a fire hose. And then you run, you jump, you climb, you escape. And everything goes back to baseline. This took maybe seven total minutes and uh, of really what your circulatory system is not designed to handle. So it causes damage to the blood vessels, but it's okay because then you've escaped and you go back to your village and you tell everybody the story and you, you know, make up a song about it that you sing around the campfire that night. Um, All of that is time spent healing so that your blood vessels recover. When you don't have the opportunity to recover, when you solve one problem and you think, okay, I solved that problem so I'm not stressed anymore, but like they keep coming and you never get a chance to allow your body to go all the way through the physical cycle that is what stress is and how all emotions happen in your body, then you always have this this kind of fire hose happening in your blood vessels, which is how damage is caused, which is where plaques build up, which is how stress causes heart attacks.
0: Yeah. And one of the things we talk about a lot is, you know, what it costs to recover from burnout. And I've we do a lot of free things, but then personal one-on-one coaching is a very significant investment because we've got to balance it out somewhere. And I've had people comment on it before and I said, yeah, but listen, what we're trying to do here is get you to a place where you're not going to have a stroke. Yeah, like we're saving you hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars later in life by avoiding all of these other complications that could come up if you don't deal with what you're facing right now. And I think one thing that I want to point out to everybody that I think is really critical about the stress cycle is that everything goes up and then everything comes back down and goes to baseline. But before it gets to baseline, it goes under baseline. So there are moments that are literally baked in fatigue, like it shuts you down on purpose because that's what that's part of what finishes it. So when you have like I'm a professional speaker, right, so I get on stage and the adrenaline floods through you because that's just what happens. That's just human nature. The adrenaline floods through the cortisol rises up. I go through the day I'm okay. the next day. be a little rough but the next day i'm dipping below baseline my adrenaline is probably already normal but my cortisol is not it takes longer than that so my my now my cortisol is dripping below normal and i'm going to need more space and time and recovery and rest etc than i might assume because the thing i did is already over yeah yeah um we
1: so we're very clear in the book that wellness is not a single like you're not going to like achieve wellness and now i'm well the (laughs) wellness is is a state of action it's the freedom to oscillate through all the cycles of being human so to go from stressed to you know just sacked out on the couch that's that doesn't mean unwellness that's that is the that's the freedom to oscillate through all the cycles
0: Yeah, and and I think that one of the things that is missing in the world, like you're saying, we have these constant stressors, but this freedom to oscillate isn't given. Nope, and we don't don't have permission ourselves either. Like that permission has was was gone a long time ago, and there's this weird assumption that once we deal with something, like it's over, and we shouldn't feel anything anymore. But your body is still doing what it's doing. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah so once the thing is over and you're like okay like so when i finish my doctoral degree (laughs) the whole time i was in my doctoral degree i was like all i have to do is finish all i have to do is finish it's okay if i feel like garbage right now because all i have to do is finish and when i finish i'll be fine um but i'm not sure i would have been able to finish if i hadn't been hospitalized halfway through and been forced to reevaluate. (laughs) and recognize how how bad this stress was for my body and what it was physically doing to my health um but because I started practicing Tai Chi and learning how to recognize my feelings when I was in my early 30s that got me to the point where I could finish and was I totally done with the stress for my doctoral degree program as soon as I was You know, as soon as I had that piece of paper in my hand, no, it took like another three years
0: for me to recover. Did you hear that, everybody? Another three years. Yeah, I think something one thing that actually came up in the questions and that um, I think the the book talks a lot about that stress cycle and says, well, when you have this, then you come down and then you go do your 20 minutes on the treadmill or you do your 20 second hug or you do whatever the things are that you do to get to go through it. But people are like, but what about the stuff that's been there for 15 years? Right. Yeah. That was actually a question. Yeah. I'll read it. It's from Vanessa. She said, I understand releasing stress and dealing with the stressors. But what about the stress that's longstanding in your body? How do you apply that theory to deeply rooted stress patterns and old? I'm I'm adding to this yeah, and, yeah. Oh, and old stuff. I'm going to be super scientific about it and say and old stuff.
1: Yeah. 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 The answer is just keep swimming. um stuff is left over i mean there are mechanisms built into your body for that purpose for example one of my favorite is um sleep is one of the best ways to manage stress is to get a good night's sleep and in dreaming your brain revisits what you have learned that day from all of your past life and so you might end up dreaming about like your eighth grade bully out of nowhere and in my experience this just that your mind recognize that this is a moment when you don't have so much going on that it has to deal with right here, right now, that it's like, so can I bring up this thing from the ancient past and allows your brain to like reprocess that experience and maybe build a new pathway to feel a different way about how the ending went or to experience it in a way that actually guides it completely through a stress response cycle. When in that moment in the eighth grade, maybe you like, just like hunched your shoulders and walked away and like went home and cried about it but didn't get to do the fight or the flight that you wanted to do in that moment and then like 30 years later you have a nightmare about it and like you know write a journal reflection and now that's that's more healed than it was ever and you didn't even you haven't thought about it in 30 years but here it is and yeah you you keep doing the same stuff and your body
0: your body will go through that stuff when it thinks you're ready. So it's like peeling the layers of the onion, which is a really good way of describing why it does actually take so long to recover from burnout, why it takes so long to get back to an actual more normal for your particular body baseline. Yeah. Like it takes a a long time because your body feels well. Yeah. 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 And you have that flexibility and that buffer to adjust, to oscillate between scenarios and situations and people and things.
1: Yeah. And to reinforce your idea that it took me three years to recover from my five-year doctoral program, it took me three years to recover even while I graduated and immediately got an excellent faculty position. That was like a dream job. I was employed. I was safe. Everything about my life got easier. Mm. All of my external circumstances improved. And that's the only way that I had enough freedom and safety in my life to have any chance at recovering um, without just treading water but actually swimming to shore. Um, Even with, I mean, really excellent circumstances, it still took three years to get to shore.
0: We're just going to let that sit for a moment. This is the time during the episode that you stop for a moment and you grant yourself grace for your process. I know that some of you are three days in and some of you are three weeks in and some of you are three months in. I know that every single one of you is frustrated by how long it's taking no matter how many days or weeks or months you're at. But I want you to take a moment right now and grant yourself a little bit of grace because you can't go through all the things and finish all the stress processes and transform all the trauma and do all the things in three days or three weeks or three months. Your body and your brain need more time than that. We go back to this idea of Tai Chi and Qigong in Chinese medicine Qigong is, it means the cultivation of energy. So you're bringing clean energy into your body. The idea in Tai Chi and Qigong is that as you move energy through your meridians, you are going to clear pathways that are stuck because of old emotion, because of old situations, because of old troubles. So that is, I'm just, I just love making that connection here with you. And it's a, I didn't know about that part. I don't remember reading it in the book. I, I might have, but I don't remember reading it in the book. It didn't hit me then. So I'm just happy to have that like really yeah. clear connection here.
1: I think we only mentioned it explicitly once in yeah. chapter five, when we're talking about basically bo- body positivity and body acceptance. Right. And like w- the solution really to that whole issue of like, how do I feel about my body is yeah. we call it mess acceptance. Emily calls it mess acceptance. Yeah. And I think the actual exercise that we encourage people to use is embrace tiger return to mountain, yeah, okay. um, which is the, it's a to your form about where you kind of gather the whole universe. That's the tiger and you kind of like look at it and be like, hey, look at that. And then you return to mountain, you simply observe without judgment and allow yourself to exist in the mess and be simultaneously strong and
0: powerful. We call that in my book, we call that being stuck in the muck on purpose, like like, sit, like just sit down in the muck for a moment. Just just sit there. Don't stop trying to silver line your life before it's time.
1: Yeah, I um, I, I wrote, I've written little songs to like reinforce oh, yeah. some of the topics in the book. One of the first songs I wrote was called Unruly. Uh, and the first line is standing in the fire that fuels me
0: just mm.
1: burning, but knowing that this
0: is this is where my power is. This is such a beautiful um, picture to create in something that for those of you who have listened to the wildfire episode, we Sarah, my co-coach, um, created an episode comparing burnout to a wildfire, and that's just a really beautiful picture. All right, I have some more. I have some more listener questions for you. If you're right, ready, let's do it. Yeah, I love that you're so into this. Samantha asked, because in the book there's a lot of talk about the patriarchy and sort of gender roles, things like that. She said, "What is your take on intersection of classism?" and burnout uh
1: they it's okay (laughs) we write about patriarchy in the book specifically because it's the information that i needed right um i identify as agender i did not realize that what was happening to me was sexism because i didn't realize that people were perceiving me as a woman because i didn't perceive myself as a woman mm-hmm. um, in a confusing and complicated way that like only people who are maybe a gender or otherwise gender nonconforming would r- relate to like h- how do you not know that you're a woman and that people are t- treating you so I I needed to know that what I was experiencing was sexism was systemic misogyny. Um, yeah. But of course it's not just the gender dynamic it's a power dynamic and in the us in the west in general it's absolutely class also but it's also education it's whiteness it's thinness it's the color texture and placement and quantity of hair on your body like it's whether you are christian if you are a native english speaker all of these things give you access to resources and power more easily and any of these things that you lack mean that you are more screwed
0: we talk about that a lot and also i have this like this space where if that's not most of your lived experience like i am a white woman who grew up in a family fairly traumatic drug ridden household um but then, you know, I was living in Europe, living my best life with my Polish husband. And like, you know, uh, uh. my burnout came at a time where I was at the the top, the, the very top of the food chain that I can be on being a woman. Yeah. And I still burnt out. And when I started this podcast, we talked, I talked to mostly those people because I was so surprised that after having grown up in like near poverty and had these experiences that I had and then being in this position Which was much different than my growing up. That was the time that I chose to burn out. Like, that was the time that my body was like, foodists, we're not doing it. And that was really confusing to me. And I didn't think that I was allowed to burn out because I had privilege. And I was actually at that time like unraveling my own internal racism and doing all that work. Yeah. Of course, we're all still always doing that work. That's just part of how it goes. But I was going through that process at the time too. And I, and I was like, so I was really not allowing myself to admit to burnout partially because I was quote unquote, so lucky and so privileged.
1: Yeah. It's hard. That, yeah. No. Um, So people have this like, oh, it's a hashtag first world problems that our stressors, are these things that are not physical life threats. Mm. Um, But our bodies don't know the difference. And um, every human is worthy of wellness. Every human is worthy of love and thriving. And you're allowed to You know you're a human even if your problems are problems that other people are like oh those are the problems you want to have like no no it is truly an existential life or death issue when the stress has manifested in your body in ways that it's doing damage that is that's not a yeah you're a human and you deserve access to resources that are necessary for survival like enough time to sleep and people think oh well you know rich people are working 80 hours a week and they have these high pressure jobs and yeah but they make so much money that makes up for it like no no that no mm-mm. yeah no 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 all of that no <laughs> and also i've never talked about this before but like yeah usually i'm talking to affluent white people like that's right. Yeah. That's the that's the audience who yeah. have access to the most of this. And um I am really interested in keeping it very intersectional and yeah. you know, acknowledging because I have long COVID now, so I'm really interested in like disability access and yeah. um non-binary gender stuff. Like that's yeah. cause that's part of my intersections. Yes. Um cuz you know when people look at me they they see you know middle class middle aged white lady mm-hmm. and th- that is who i have the most um influence on because i'm i'm one of y'all i'm i'm meeting you where you're at yeah. um m- my experience is not <laughs> right, so like I'm not who you think I am. Like when you look at me, <laughs> I'm a gender. I'm autistic. Uh, Emily and I were raised below the poverty line. Like we yeah. got free lunch at school. Like yeah, yeah. Poor. Like that yeah. was that was our experience growing up. Yeah. Um, and and but like the the way that I present to the world is affluent, right? White lady, like middle class, right. highly educated. Yeah. Uh, you know, white lady. Um, so that's fine with me that mm-hmm. these are the people because this is a population that, uh, you know, black people don't need me to tell them that the system is harder for them. They um, know already. <laughs> they know already. Black people know. Um, yeah. I, I really feel like it's more my job to make sure that the white ladies remember, uh, you know, to, yeah. uh, to to work to end, uh, you know, white feminism as it exists in the space of like,
0: Intersectionality again. We're yeah. back to this. Yeah. 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 I'm sort of uh, awkwardly talking about this because I don't usually. I think it's okay to be awkward about it. I think it's an awkward thing to talk about, but I think it's, a, I think we have to if we're not talking about it. Yeah. If we're not yeah. talking about it, nobody's talking about it. So let's like, let's go there. I think, and that was the question. And I think it was an interesting, after having read your book, I looked at the question and I went, oh and then i found myself naturally getting a little bit defensive <laughs> you know because i yeah. i had my burnout at such a, a a privileged point in my life right and then i was like oh actually we need to just actually talk about this flat up like yes there are things your privileges m- may make it less likely that you burn out but those privileges are p- privileges also that ex- may or may not extend throughout the course of your entire life yeah. and your susceptibility to stress is determined by your life, your environment, the culture that you live in, your community, your genetic makeup, your epigenetic makeup. There's so many things we talk about yeah. a lot in on Friday about the epidemiological idea of a web of causation. Like every single one of us has so many different factors that got us to this point. And what I want for, All of you listening right now is to if you're experiencing burnout, if you if you found this podcast because you were searching through Spotify at two o'clock in the morning for something that would help you, no matter what your state of privilege is, I want you to grant yourself the space to understand that there is a web of causation that only you have. It's a burnout fingerprint that belongs to you. And it will look different than the person sitting next to you and the person sitting next to them. And it comes across every color, creed, religion, gender, state, any of it. It crosses through all of us. None of us are completely safe. Some of us are a little more unsafe. That yeah. doesn't mean that people that are safer will not will not happen to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I usually don't talk about this because I'm usually talking to people who are in states of privilege and I want to make sure that they use that privilege also to protect others. Exactly. Um that's usually my frame. Yeah. So um but Emily and I have had, I think, exactly one conversation about this, yeah. and that was when we were talking about my doctoral dissertation, which is actually about um, Sergei Rachmaninoff. He's a Russian composer from the turn of the 20th century, and he fled Russia in the beginning of the 20th century after the, you know, the communist mm-hmm. revolution. Um, his home was destroyed, was razed yeah. to the ground, um, and he was not safe. He had to flee the country. Uh partly because he was rich and famous. He was part of the problem. And the you know, the Bolsheviks didn't like that action. Um, He had to flee. Now he fled and was a refugee as Mm. a rich, famous, world renowned concert pianist. Um, This makes him maybe the most privileged refugee in the world. But he suffered mightily from homesickness and not just from homesickness I miss my people in my home but but I can't go back it doesn't even exist anymore right that thing that I had is completely different now it is gone um Mm -hmm. and so Emily was giving this like yeah and I was like he was a refugee because I I wrote my dissertation on a piece called the three Russian folk songs Mm -hmm. it's the only piece of vocal music he wrote after he fled Russia because mm-hmm. people didn't want to sing in Russian. Mm-hmm. Um so he only wrote piano and orchestral music after that. Um, except for this three Russian folk songs that the fact that it's folk songs, mm-hmm. children's songs that he had known mm-hmm. his whole life, mm-hmm. that his friends all knew, um, that finally he's writing a thing that is of the Russian folk. Yeah. Um and it uh it lived in his heart for 20 years after he left before he actually completed the work Um, and uh, when Emily was talking to me and I was like well because he was a refugee and he was trying to heal his heart by recovering something of his home and she she was like well maybe the most privileged refugee in the world but that doesn't change what happened in his heart that doesn't change that he had a piece of himself forcibly removed by revolutionaries who, you know, I mean, were they right that the that the Russian oligarchy was evil and, you know, there's right. millions to starve? <laughs> like, yeah, Russia has had it rough. Yeah. Um, were they wrong? No. Is his wealth and his fame at the time like did that make him his fault and him part of the problem? Like, I mean, if you're going to talk about a one percenter, Sergei Rachmaninoff was was a one percenter. Like for sure, he wasn't literally a member of the oligarchy, but you know, so his his heart matters just like everybody's does. And um, when you when you get to know a musician because you're writing your dissertation about him. Um, you know, you're reading his letters and you get to know an individual person, you feel connected to them in a way that is different from, you know, it's how people feel about, you know, musicians that they really love. They feel like they know them and they're, that's how I kind of feel about Rachmaninoff. Anyway, so this is the one time I've ever talked about, um, you know, how the external privilege may not match up with the, the pain that you experience inside. And I have, uh, the the one place I've really like focused on how much that matters and how it how it turns out for a person was was through my doctoral dissertation about Sergei Rachmaninoff and these three Russian folk songs. I love did that. not
0: think I'd be talking about my dissertation today, but here and we are. I'm into it. And as someone who spent 12 years of her life in Eastern Europe, I'm, I'm into it even even more. <laughs> There's a lot of, I think. Like I talk to first generations American, first generation Americans a lot on the podcast as well because I grew up in a town that was mostly immigrants, so there that was the experience of most of the people I grew up with, and then lived in Eastern Europe for an extended period of time. Which people, I mean, my father in law lived through two world wars. Like this, that's just life for him, and I think that that's when to me the sort of genetic part of things comes in and that extra gratitude you're supposed to have as a first generation immigrant because your parents left their home to give you this better life and so you're now you're forced to like feel better about your life even though you're like fucking stressed like this isn't good for me you know so all of these different pieces ev- there's yeah. so many different pieces that can be a part of your web of causation and your web of causation is just as as important as anybody else's no matter your financial circumstance Yeah, 100%. I think that sums us up. Yeah. All right. New question. From Erica. Aside from processing stress, what have you found most helpful in preventing future slash recurrent burnout? Uh
1: recognizing the impact of human giver syndrome. Yeah. Uh, so recognizing who in my life is a giver who's going to care about my well-being as much as I care about theirs, um, who is going to be on the lookout to make sure I don't burn out either, who is caring for me, um, versus where are the relationships where they have a, a human being-human giver dynamic. This is we talk about this, we introduce yeah. it in chapter three, go on to talk about it in chapter four, where there are people who are told by the world that they have a moral obligation to live and express their humanity and and take whatever resources are necessary in order to accomplish that. You know, um, it's from this a book called uh, Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny by a moral philosopher named Kate Mann and recognizing where I am in a relationship with someone who feels entitled to my giving versus when I'm in a relationship to someone who gives back and Kind of disconnecting from the relationships where the other person feels entitled to my time and my life and my body and really investing in the relationships that are
0: reciprocal this is community matters yeah and you and community is one of the uh, one of the few things in life that you get to control Uh, And some of us have less control than others, right? Because if you're in a strong religious community or a family that doesn't like outsiders at all, well, you might feel a little more stuck in this regard. And community is something that you choose. So even within the communities where you don't feel like you have a lot of choice, make good choices as best as you can because the people that you surround yourself with can make you or break you. It's not I like this answer because it's not just about you. It's not just about you doing something, but it's about being in a community with people that think you matter.
1: Yeah, we we say all the time that the cure for burnout is not self-care. It can never be. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other because the way out of the the dynamic where we're being asked to a strive for unreachable goals and constantly uh, meet unceasing demands, the only way to get out of that constant trap is to have people come in and interrupt and say, "Nah, no, nah, that that goal that you think you need to achieve, you, you don't need to achieve that. You don't need a light kitchen before you deserve to have people over to your house for us to eat together and spend time bonding your avocado green linoleum countertops are completely adequate. We can sit at that counter and have a beer together and enjoy each other's company and support each other and cheer for each other. And it's all worthy. You don't have to conform to an external ideal. The only way you can resist the flood of information telling you that you must be only one certain thing is is to have other people intervene. You need a bubble of love surrounding
0: you. Uh, my co coach will be so happy. Her and, and her, um, her other business partner and her best friend Sarah. It's Sarah and Sarah. They they call themselves therapeutics because they're, they're the cutest things that ever existed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, always talk about being in a love bubble, like creating love bubbles when they do retreats. So she'll be happy to hear you say that. Speaking of the Sarahs, um, Sarah Y. So not my co coach, but her co coach. <laughs> we we all work together in some way, shape, or form. But Sarah Y. said. What do you believe is the number one impediment to recovering from burnout personally and then socially? This might have already sort of been answered in the last question. Yeah.
1: Uh, The number one impediment um, socially is not having access to the resources you need. And there are a lot of people who don't have access to the resources they need. Um, Like me, when I was burning out, I was in grad school work and three part-time just my external circumstances were not conducive to recovery yeah um and a lot of people are working multiple jobs they got mm-hmm. multiple kids they may be raising mm-hmm. on their own like mm-hmm. and that situation is untenable and no one who loves that person wants them to have to live that way for any kind of extended duration right um that's the number one impediment is is some people just can't Get to a place where they actually can access all the resources that are necessary, um, which is one of the reasons why the cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. Because what that person needs is is help, is to be in a community where they they don't have to, you know, sacrifice themselves on the altar of all the external expectations of martyrdom. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the that's the main external thing. Um, the most common internal thing is just the belief that you don't deserve it Mm. Um, the belief that it is normal and even kind of morally good that Mm. it is mm, honorable to sacrifice yourself in this way um, that what you are doing is proper and uh, yeah the the martyrdom as you said like Mm. that the belief that it is ethically sound and morally superior in order and to
0: morally to superior that. yeah yeah we talk about moral superiority a lot around here yeah for this reason
1: work is morally neutral you know food is morally neutral sleep is morally neutral fat is morally neutral language is morally neutral like yeah yeah it's, it's hard to hold on to because the world does
0: not agree no where the bubble comes in. Exactly. And that bubble, to remind all of you, the Facebook group exists so that you can be in a bubble like that. The office hours exist so you can be in a bubble like that. We are doing our best to provide as many free, completely free resources as we can to you, in addition to the podcast, obviously, because we know that not everybody has access But we are making ourselves accessible. We are making things accessible because we know that how necessary it is. So don't don't ever hold yourself back. I think not having access to resources is one problem. And then the not deserving often means that you don't even reach out to the resources that you have available. (sighs) Yeah, I think that's honestly more common
1: than when it comes to like the kind of burnout we're talking about, where it's like external expectations, not. Being, you know, able to be conformed to
0: by a per, Like, I yeah. think that, yeah. The resources, there's resources out there that are good for you too. And you do have to actually allow yourself to use them. No one can make you do that part. But they're there. Yeah. They're there. We're trying to like you hell. And you deserve them. And you deserve them. And that's why they, that's why they're there because you deserve them. That's why they exist. Yeah. I like that. All right, last question. This is, um, I'm going to read it as it is, but there is a word in here that I don't think should be there personally. Mask asks, the top, what are the top three things to immediately start implementing to come back from burnout? It was the immediacy just threw me off because I was like, that's like anti-burnout. To, to make it an immediate thing automatically makes it not burnout friendly. So what are the top three things to start implementing to come back from burnout?
1: Yeah, thing one is Mm. to notice your internal sensations to notice that maybe what you're experiencing is burnout thing one is to notice Mm. knowing is half the battle they say uh it's true like if you are aware that you're burning out then you can actually start to do stuff um so that doesn't mean going oh i'm burnt out and then like drinking yourself to oblivion and getting up the next day and doing everything the same but you know noticing ongoing like oh, how is this manifesting in my body? How is this showing up in my, how cranky I am with the people who are around me? Like, notice really deeply all of the things. Once you know it's, oh, I think this might be burnout, then, you know, discover. Cause once you start noticing how it's showing up, yes. then your body is gonna tell you what the next steps are gonna be. But I think that the probably the next step, step two, would be to do a thing that helps you feel like you have moved to a state of safety. So completing the stress response cycle, be it getting physical activity or improving your sleep, or, you know, the, the hugging loved ones or otherwise connecting to your community, doing whatever that thing is that makes you feel like, You're like on the top of the world and ready for anything or the thing that makes you feel like just really peaceful and calm and ready for anything. Um, So if there's a thing you did when you were a kid, if you were in marching band and you would like leave rehearsal and feel like yeah uh then that might be your thing if if you know that you know carving or acting or singing or um or writing or playing a video game like a really exciting video game gets you all like and you walk away at the end of the night and you're like i rescued that princess and like your heart is beating and and you know that it makes you feel that kind of like complete hero feeling Uh, whatever it is that gives you that feeling do more of that thing Because as you do that, it'll start to heal as the stress cycles start to be like kind of your backlog starts to get completed and unlocked and dealt with, Uh, your body will be like, oh, this feels good. This is right. And then as you keep doing step number one, which is noticing, um, then your body's going to tell you what the next thing is. Um, And honestly, I can't tell you what this is, but I and now it's sounding like, oh, my God, this is so much work. But the good news is that once you open the first door yeah, it shows your body will show you what the next door is and then show you what the next door is. And as you go, they get easier and easier and easier. So notice, respond, repeat. yeah, keep paying attention and and your body's gonna tell you, and I, I hate saying, listen to your body. so we we made a workbook because after Good. after the book came out, um people were like, okay, but what do I do? Thanks for all that science, what do I do? <laughs> and there's stuff that like, here's what you do in the book, but it's, yes. it's 80,000 words with 20 pages of references. I I know that it's not everybody's jam so we made we we made a workbook for the people who like don't need the receipts and they just want the results Um, and there is a whole appendix in the workbook of how to listen to your body what people mean when they say listen to your body for people like me who are on the far end of the spectrum of like my interoception is not top-notch how do I listen to my body what does that actually mean and to like teach you the skill of doing it it's um you know it takes time and practice but it is honestly It's one of those phrases that people just throw around, like people like my sister just take for granted that everyone knows what that means. Um, But I know how hard it is and uh, but it is it's,
0: it's just it's just the foundation. It's just the beginning. Yes, I'm into it. I will absolutely link to both the book and the workbook in the show notes. Amelia, thank you so much for spending this time with us and for exploring things that maybe you haven't explored on other podcasts and in other spaces, because we ask funny questions around here and we like to dig into fun (laughs) things. Um, So I'm so grateful for your time and your wisdom. And I know that long COVID can wreak havoc on your brain. And so I'm just so so grateful that you felt on point today and were able to get through all the things that you needed to get through to share with us. Um, So thank you so much. Thank you. Fried fam, what I want you to take away today, you can obviously always make your own rules because like life, but what I want you to take away today are a couple of ideas. One, that no matter your burnout story, it's real. Two, you deserve the resources that you need to heal. And three, this shit is probably going to take longer than you want it to. So keep giving yourself grace until, and let the onion continue to unpeel, especially when you think you're done. Because that happened to me. I was like, I'm done with this. Cross it off. (laughs) Then I wasn't. And then that was not true at all. So those three things, but what I really want to hear from you, especially those of you in the Facebook group, but also feel free to DM me anywhere that you can find me. What I want to hear in the Facebook group is what about this conversation was important for you personally? Let's start that discussion and have it as a crew because I think that this needs to be dug into a little bit more. All right, Fried fam, I'll see you in there. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried, the burnout podcast with Kate Donovan. Pride fam, you know how much I love keeping it real and sharing true, deep and dark stories about life and burnout. You also know, if you've been around for a while, that I have never had a quote unquote real job because I've been an entrepreneur since the day I finished school. And entrepreneurship can be lonely. That's why if you're an entrepreneur or a creative like me, I want you to listen to the Who Made You the Bossed podcast with Lindsay Epperly. With deep dives into imposter syndrome, honesty about bank accounts and life drama, and stories about the fallacy of balancing it all, Lindsay and Who Made You the Boss make the world of entrepreneurship more real, more connected, and less lonely. I recommend starting with episode three, all about slowing down for more impact. You can thank me later. Hey, fried fans, are you ready to beat burnout for good? I want you to join our newsletter for top tips, resources, and as per usual, a touch of humor delivered straight to your inbox. Plus, when you do that, you'll get our core values exercise, which is your secret weapon to kickstart your burnout recovery and then keep it away long term. Don't wait. Head to bit.ly forward slash core values freebie and start feeling better today. That link will also be in the show notes.